All right, it's our last Wednesday of the semester, and uh, it's been a great uh, time for myself personally just to be in this room with y'all and to be encouraged by y'all and to be encouraged by the Word, to be convicted, to be challenged. And uh, I want us to close out our time tonight in 1 Kings chapter 2 as we look at David's final instruction for Solomon. And um, I don't know if this has happened to you before, but sometimes I'll be reading some scripture that I've read before, but it just hits you in a different way, and it's almost as if you've never read those words before. Anybody ever had that before? I was reading it, and all of a sudden it was just like, oh my goodness, how have I missed this all these years? It's just very simplistic. David's instruction of Solomon is very simple. It's easy to understand, and so I want us to look at it together tonight, and um, so we're going to pray. And by the way, I've heard from a few of you uh, this past week that took the challenge of doing the homework last week of finding 30 minutes throughout the week to get alone with the Lord and to read Psalm 51 and just ask the Lord to reveal anything to you. And I've been very encouraged by the messages that I've got from those of you that have uh, were able to find the time to do that. And, um, and I just want to encourage you, if you haven't found a time to do that, I'd encourage you over the next couple weeks to find 30 minutes to get alone with the Lord, to read Psalm 51, and just ask the Lord to speak to you, okay? Let's pray. We'll jump into it. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you love us. And Lord, tonight, as these men and I are in here, Lord, I pray you'll speak directly to us from your word. I thank you for the very simple words and the encouraging words and the challenging words that King David gave King Solomon. And Lord, I pray we'll take them to heart and we'll take the truths that we see in there and we'll apply them to our lives. Lord, I pray that we don't just read your word and walk away from it, but we read it and it changes our lives. And so, Lord, tonight I pray you'll speak to us. We're listening. We love you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Well, let's jump right into it. And I actually, I, I said last week, let's read all 12 verses. Let's just look at the first four. If we have time, we may look at the other ones, but let's just look at these first four verses. And this is what it says in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. As the time approached for David to die, he ordered his son Solomon, as for me, I'm going the way of all of the earth. And then he begins his instruction. So it's just very simple. David is on his deathbed. Now, I did a search this past week of famous people's last sayings. They were some of the most discouraging things I've ever read. I thought about putting some of them up on the screen and sharing them with you, but some of them were just sad. Uh, they were full of regret. They were full of I wish or I should have and all of that kind of stuff, and it was really sad. But here's David. He's on his deathbed. He's getting ready to die. He tells Solomon, I'm going the way of the earth. In other words, all people at some point are going to die. Now, you say, well, that's not true. Uh, Enoch didn't die. The Lord just took him on up to heaven. Praise the Lord, but there's not many others that that happened to, okay? So it's, it's looking like all of us are going to die at some point unless the Lord chooses to come back before we die. Now, I'll tell you what. I'm ready for him to come back. I don't know about you. And I, I used to think years ago, like, I got too much I want to do. I got too many things I want to accomplish. I got dreams and aspirations, and I want to have kids. I want to do all that stuff, and I want to do this and that. And you know what? I'm at a point now where I'm like, Lord, I'm ready right now. You could just go ahead and come on back. Just part the clouds, come on back, and just take us on home. And, hey, he could do it. He, he could do it right now, and I'm thankful for that. And so we look forward to that day. But if that doesn't happen, we will all come to a point where we die. And we'll probably look back over our lives 
And some of us may have regrets. Some of us may have stuff we want to pass on to our children or the people that are around our bedside. But listen to what David says to Solomon. He says, as for me, I'm going the way of all the earth. And he says this, be strong and be a man. And keep your obligation to the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes, commands, ordinances, and decrees. This is written in the law of Moses. So that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn. And so that the Lord will fulfill his promise that he made to me. If your sons take care to walk faithfully before me with all their heart and all their soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. So, in some ways, it, 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 there's, there's some great brilliance of instruction here. And, and he's telling Solomon, if you want to be successful, these are the things you need to do. But then he kind of also follows it up with a little bit of a selfish reason into which he wants Solomon to do these things. He says, so that the Lord will keep what he promised me. He wanted that through his lineage, there would always be a king on the throne of Israel. So I want us to just see a couple things here. And I love just David's simplicity. I want us to look back at verse 1. It says, As the time approached for David to die, he ordered his son Solomon, As for me, I am going the way of all the earth. Be strong and be a man. Be strong. This is the first instruction he gives Solomon. As I read this, be strong, I began to pull some commentaries and look at exactly what does he mean by be strong. Does, is, he, is he informing Solomon that Solomon needs to make sure that he gets up each and every morning and goes down to the local YMCA and pumps some iron? Is he, is he letting Solomon know that he needs to get up on a daily basis and do his push-ups and sit-ups so that he can have big biceps and a nice, and a nice figure? Is, is, he, is, he, is he telling Solomon that he needs to be physically strong, or does this word be strong have other implications? And so I want us to think about it for just a moment, because the first thing I want us to see tonight, David's advice to Solomon, the number one thing is he says, be strong. I think the issue sometimes for you and I when we read Scripture, we do something that we're not supposed to do. Oftentimes, we'll read and we'll put into the Scripture what we want the Scripture to say. Now, that's called eisegesis. Eisegesis means to put into the text what you want it to say. You'll hear our pastor say that you need to exegete or exegesis. What does that mean? Exit. You hear the word exodus. What does exodus mean? It means that they went out of Egypt. That word ex means out. So when it says exegesis, what we do is we read scripture, we find out who the scripture was written to, why it was written, what the purpose of it was when it was written. We take those truths and we look to see, can we apply them to our lives? And I'll be quite frank with you, some people will say every single thing you read in Scripture can be applied to you. But if you look in the Old Testament, there are some very specific things that were given to the Levites specifically and even how they were to dress that, to be quite honest with you, would not apply to you and I and how we dress today. He was specifically talking to the Israelites. He was talking to the Levites and telling them, this is how you are to dress because they were the priesthood. They were holy. They were royal and set apart, and they were to look different. They were to act different. They were to talk different. Now, the book of 1 Peter tells you and I that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. 
as believers, we are to look different. We are to act different. We are to sound different. I think we are to dress different. I think we should look different than the world. But when we look specifically in there, when it's talking to the Levites about what they're to wear, that's not specifically telling you and I how we need to dress on a daily basis. So there are some things written. There are some instructions. For instance, when the Lord told Noah the exact dimensions to build the ark, you and I are not supposed to read the, that, the story about the ark and go out into our backyard and begin building an ark to meet those dimensions. That is not ap- applicable to us. What that story is doing is pointing to the fact that we are all sinners and we are in great need of a Savior. That's exactly what it's doing. You think about the ark. I mean, it was this this picture of salvation. And Noah was preaching, and he was telling everybody, repent, get on the boat. And they were laughing at him. And yet they could have gotten on that boat. They could have trusted the Lord. Yeah, they didn't. And that's it's pointing to the fact that Jesus is coming. So there's things that we read in Scripture that we say, okay, that's interesting. There's, there's some specifics. There's some details. But how does that apply to our life? So I think sometimes we read something. We may not exactly know what it means, And so we then apply it to however we think it fits us best. And I would submit to you that that's a very dangerous place to be. I would also submit to you that I would be very careful in who I listen to in preaching, teaching, and book writing. Because there are a lot of people that are preaching eisegetically, not exegetically. They're putting into the scripture what they want it to say. And so when we look at this, and David says to Solomon, be strong, what exactly is he saying to him? You know, it's interesting that Paul tells the church in Corinth something very similar in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 and 14. Paul says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. So here we have David telling Solomon, be strong. Now we have Paul telling the church of Corinth, be strong. What does he mean? I want us to take a few minutes around the table, and I want us to discuss this very question. What does David mean by being strong? Take some time around the table and discuss it. All right, guys. Uh, Just throw a couple things out. Um, We're talking about, he says, be strong. What's What's he talking about? Okay, strong in faith, strong in what you believe. Hold on to that. Don't waver. Okay, good. Oh, that's good. Strong in conviction and what the Lord said he can provide. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I had a conversation earlier today. Uh, somebody said, you know, if you were to ask people if they believed that God owned the cattle on a thousand hills, if they really believe that, he said, I think everybody in our church would say that. But he said, the question is, is do they live their life like they actually believe it? And I thought, oh, that's, that's a different story. Because he said, if so, what are you worrying about your finances for? I mean, he cut me, to the, he cut me deep, you know, just, just thinking about that. He said, if, if you really believe it, why worry? Okay, one more. Okay, be strong in what it requires of you. Good, good. I put two things down. I think there's. I think all everything that was said was great. And um, so, first one I put was be strong in your faith. We have got to know what we believe and why we believe it. We have to, as believers, and we're seeing this more and more and more and more as children are growing up and going to college, and they're getting taken off the path, and they're not coming back to the church. And when you 
when you poll a lot of them, it's because they never really believed it in the first place. Or they got there and they had heard these stories, but they didn't really know it. They didn't really believe it. Or like the guy that I was talking to just a couple weeks ago, he said, hey, listen, I work with a guy that's a Muslim. And he said he's the nicest guy I've ever known. He said, we have had great conversations about how he raises his family and how I raise my family. And he said, I have learned so much from him. He said, but I'll be honest with you. He said, he challenged me with some things in Scripture. And he said, I, I, based off what he said, he could be right. And I realized that this guy was not grounded in his faith. He had an idea of what the scriptures say, but he wasn't grounded it and, and really understood it. And guys, I think when we're talking about being strong in our faith, I think it's a couple things. One, we have to be strong in the word of God. You and I have nothing, we have no power apart from the word of God and the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's all we've got. And so we've got to get into the word of God. We've got to study it. The Bible tells us in Psalm 1 to meditate on it day and night. Meditate. That's to think on it. That's to ponder it. That's to start in the morning. What does he say in the Shema in Deuteronomy, early in Deuteronomy? It says how to raise your children. It says teach them. It says to teach them. First it says to love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then it says to, to wake up in the morning and, and get your kids out of bed and to teach them the same thing. You're to train your children. You're to teach them how to love the Lord. And then it tells you that you're to have Scripture all over the place. It says to bind them on your foreheads and to put them on the doorposts and all of that. We're to be grounded in the Word of God, so we're to meditate on it day and night. We're to memorize God's Word. I am amazed that I grew up starting at the age of three in a, in a uh, it wasn't Boy Scouts, it was called Awanas. Now, I don't know if anybody knows what Awanas is, but I, okay, right there, good, okay? I was raised in, in Awanas, and it's, it's, a sim, it's a Christian Boy Scout, Girl Scout, you do like on a Wednesday night at church, and it is heavy on Scripture memory, heavy, 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 heavy. One year, in the course of one year, we memorized 150 verses, one year, when I was 12 years old. I mean, we really focused on Scripture. And if you were to ask me right now to take a whiteboard and write down every verse I memorized from the age of 3 to 18, I probably couldn't do it. I am amazed at how I can be talking to somebody, and they can say something that they're going through, and the Lord will bring a verse to memory. I'll be honest with you, I don't even remember I knew. And I'll say, listen, do you know what the Lord said in the book of Proverbs? And I'll just share it with them. Because, listen, you can't bring back to memory what you hadn't put in there. And I'm amazed that people say, well, I just, you know, I just can't memorize Scripture. I can guarantee you if I was to ask you about your favorite sports team, you could tell me every stat and every player that ever played for them. It's amazing. We memorize the things that we really are passionate about. And I think this idea of being strong is, first of all, being strong in the Word of God, knowing what it says knowing why we believe what we say we believe, and then being strong in our faith, that we actually have put all of our faith, all of our trust in Christ, and being strong in that, that we will not waver. The second thing that I put down was be strong in your actions. Now, I believe that when you truly have faith, when you truly believe something, you will live it out. And I think I've shared this before, but uh, I grew up listening to a, 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 he was ahead of his time in contemporary Christian music. His name was Rich Mullins. I don't know if anybody's ever heard Rich Mullins. He had some great songs. One of my favorite songs he sang, the chorus said, faith without works is like a screen door on a submarine. Now you let that sink in for a minute. 
There's absolutely no point in having a screen door on a submarine. It's useless. You might as well rip it off and throw it into the sea. And that's exactly what I believe faith is. Faith without works, what does James say? It's dead. It's not real faith. Faith has to have actions. And so if we're going to say that we're going to be strong, when David says be strong, he's saying be strong in the word, be strong. Then he's saying be strong how you live it out. That idea of obedience, which we're going to see that in just a minute. Be strong. When I look at men that are strong, my wife and I, now, I know this is going to shock y'all, but I've got to have surgery again. Now, I, 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 don't, I don't need any sympathy, okay? I, I, the sympathy left after surgery eight. This is like number 11, okay? So want, once you get to double digits, you don't need sympathy anymore, okay? You just, you just roll with the punches, okay? But my wife and I had to quit working out about three or four weeks ago. My neck got really bad, and so I'm having surgery next Wednesday to deal with that. But I would be amazed. There was a guy that just made me sick at the YMCA. This man would come in with a cut-off shirt, and he didn't have to work out. He just looked good. You know, the, you know, hey, you know who I'm talking about. You see him up there. He's got a cut-off shirt, and the guy looks amazing, okay? And then he's in there pumping this weight. And one day I told my wife, I said, I don't think if you and I got together and worked out for 10 years, we could lift that together. That's how much weight that guy's lifted. It, it, was, it, was, it was amazing. And I saw the strength in him. And so one day I got up enough courage to ask him how long he had been lifting. He said, I started lifting when I was 13 years old. He said, my daddy was a bodybuilder. He said, I started lifting when I was 13 years old. And he said, let me tell you the key to being strong. He said, it's consistency. That's it. He said, form plays into it. All of these, he said, I can tell you all this other stuff. He said, but consistency. He said, you miss a day, you'll miss another one. You miss two days, you'll miss a week. You miss a week, you'll miss a month. He said, you've got to be consistent. And he said, I'll even tell you this. He said, I think that I can help you get in great shape if you would promise me 20 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day. He said, now, you're not going to get huge. But he said, the consistency of going through the motions and doing it over and over, that repetition, he said, that's where it's at when it comes to being strong. Now, he's talking about that physical. But can you not see the spiritual implication of what he's talking about? The consistency of being strong in the word. I know you're tired. I, I had a couple conversations with guys in here. I was sitting right there reading through the lesson, and I about fell asleep. I think I was in, yeah, I think I was in that chair. I about fell asleep twice. Just sitting here, just like, good night. I just need to go to sleep. I know we're tired. I know we're weary. I know it's been a long day. I know some of you worked, got to work really early this morning, and I know you're tired. I know you've got a ton of things going on, but we have got to be strong and consistent in the word of God so that, we can live that out through actions. James calls us to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers also. Not to be just hearers of the word, but to be doers also. Okay, the next thing I want us to see is right there again in verse 2. It says, as for me, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong and be a man. Be strong and be a man. Now, why does David have to look Solomon in the eyes and tell him to be a man? Solomon was a man. And you know, honestly, up until the last 10 years, I didn't think I had to look at a male and tell them to be a man in the United States of America. Those days are gone. They're gone. From the way people are dressing, to the way they're talking, to the way they're acting, to the things that they're doing, and now people say, well, just because you're born with this anatomy does not necessarily mean you're a man. The bottom line is, God has created you as a male, therefore you are to become a man. Period. End of story. You don't even have to like it. That's reality. Because that's how God designed it. 
And it's just almost appalling that you and I would even have to have those conversations in today's society. But look right here. David is saying to Solomon, I want you to be strong, but I also want you to be a man. So here's the question. If he tells him to be a man, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a man? Does he need to wear a flannel shirt and carry an axe and grow a big beard? Does he need to have big muscles? Does he need to have a certain type of job? Does he need to live in a certain place? What does it mean to be a man? Because I think that if I was to put a piece of paper in every one of your hands and ask you to write out a definition of what a biblical man is, we would have a bunch of different definitions in this room. And so I want to ask you the question. What does David mean when he says, be a man? What does he mean when he says, be a man. Let's go back to what Paul says in that passage in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men. What does he mean? He gives nothing else in regard to what he means by being a man. Could it be that Jewish children grew up knowing exactly what a man was to be by the time they got to manhood? I think so. I think that they were trained and they were taught, and so when they came into manhood, it was a rite of passage, and they knew exactly what a man was to be. We've lost that today. And so when David looks at Solomon and says, be a man, he's pointing back to something he had been teaching him all throughout his life. When Paul is telling the church of Corinth, be a man, he's, tell, he's reminding them of something they had been taught in the past. So the question is, what does it mean to be a man. I'm not talking about anatomy. We understand that being a male means that you should turn into a man. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'll tell you this story. If my father knew I was going to tell you all this story, he would, not be, he, would, he would get in his truck in northwest Arkansas. He'd drive over there, and he'd come to my house tonight. He'd probably whip me, okay? So I don't need you to tell him that I told you this story, okay? But my mom's youngest sister married a guy when she was right out of high school, and the guy, it was just a really bad situation, and he beat her on multiple occasions, bad enough to put her in the hospital. And my dad was not really walking with the Lord at that time in his life. And my dad was a boxer in the Marines. Now, he had just gotten out of the Marines. So my dad was a big guy, okay? I mean, he was, he was, he was a big guy. He was a strong guy. He held a push-up record in the Marines for like five years. I mean, he was, he was a tough dude. And so my mom went to the hospital to visit her sister. Come home, tells my dad. My dad gets in his little Toyota truck, and he drives over to this guy's house, and he knocks on the door, and the guy comes to the door, and the guy says, Kenneth, come on in. And he said, no, you come on outside. I got something I need to tell you. The guy comes out. My dad got about that far from his face, and he said, for the rest of your life, you're not going to lay one finger on her. You will not touch her again. You're not a man. You may be a male, but you're not a man. The guy went in, divorced her, committed suicide a few years later. Dad shared the gospel with him and everything else. The guy was so far gone. It was one of the saddest tragedies I've ever seen. My dad told me years later, he said, Derek, there's a lot of males walking around that have no idea what it means to be a man. Now, the reality is some people have never been shown. They didn't have somebody to teach them what a man is. So when David says to Solomon, be a man, what does he mean? I want you to discuss it around the table a little bit. We'll come back and talk here in just a few minutes. All right, guys. What's David mean? He says, be a man. If we were going to look a young man in the face today and say, be a man, 
he very likely has no idea what that means because our culture has made it all different types of things. And a lot of times the church, and, and I'm, not being, I'm not talking about Bellevue, I'm talking about the church, goes silent on some of these issues. We don't want to step on toes. We don't want to hurt feelings. But the reality is we've got to set these things in place. So if we're going to look at a young man and say, you need to be a man, and here's what that is, that's what David's telling Solomon. What did you talk about around your table? Okay, be responsible. God, God gave Adam a lot of responsibility in the, in the garden. Before Eve even came on the scene, you know, he told him, he gave him a job. He told him to name the animals, to take care of them, do all that. And then, and then he brings in this wife. Yeah, a lot of responsibility, absolutely. What else? Okay, lead by example. I love that one. Lead by example. That's good. That's right. Okay, let me say this again because it's so good. He said, you first of all have to be a man under authority. And then you can operate in authority because God has placed you in that underneath his authority. Uh, man, that's good. That's good. Physically, mentally, and spiritually, right? It's not just one-sided. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Chance. That's good. That's good. So he's saying that that idea right there with be strong, kind of talking about the physical side of things, but when he says be a man, it's more talking about the mental side of things. That's good. One more right here. Oh, you're 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 calling somebody else out. He must have had something really good. Ooh, that's good. Be a protector. Yeah, absolutely be a protector. Let's go another one. Amen. Real man loves Jesus. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I think everything it said is great. And, and I, I, told, I shared this with Brother Steve back in January. I said, Pastor, I said, I've been wrestling through this passage. And, and what does David mean here when he says be a man? Is there something that we don't have right here that maybe was just common in Jewish tradition of how fathers raised their sons that Solomon knew exactly what David meant when he said, be a man? Am, am I missing something? And so I've just been studying, I've been praying, I've been reading, and I think we can make a lengthy list. But I just want to give you two just very quick things. Be a man. Number one, how you conduct yourself. How you conduct yourself. How you carry yourself. And I love what you said. You said a man under authority. You know, I've said this before, and some people get a little bit out of shape at the statement I'm getting ready to make. Now, I want you to hear it out before you say you disagree with it. But I believe in Ephesians chapter 5, where it's talking about husbands love your wives and wives submit to your husbands. We've always heard that women struggle so much with that word submit. They hate that word. And the feminist movement won't even use the word. They say, well, that, we, you, we shouldn't have to do that. Well, first of all, yes, you do, because that's the design God put into place. You don't have to like it. That's the reality, okay? But here is the picture that Paul sets forth in Ephesians chapter 5. It is submission on the husband to Jesus Christ, 
and then the wife submits to the husband. So the reality is, if the man is already submitting and aligning himself with Christ, when the wife submits and aligns herself unto the husband, she's really submitting and aligning herself with Christ. He is the protector. He is leading her into that submission. See, I think the reason women for so long have hated the word submit is because oftentimes men demand something out of the woman they're not willing to give themselves. Well, you're supposed to submit to me, but they're not submitting to Christ. And so, guys, I I think a lot of it is how we conduct ourselves, how we carry ourselves. The second thing is, is how you lead. How you lead. And a lot of you may sit out there and say, I'm not a leader. I don't lead a class. I don't lead at my job. I I, I, I don't really have a place of leadership. I'll be honest with you. I think everybody has an impact on somebody. It could be the teller at a bank. Here's the reason I know this. I had a friend who was so horrified of the digital money and credit cards, everything. He just did everything in cash, everything. He was a young guy. He studied accounting and all that stuff, and he was so worried about all his identity getting stolen, he just did everything in cash. And so he would go to the bank all the time. He would go and work really, really hard. He would take his check from his job. He would take it there. He would cash it. He would take it over the little counter. He would put it in his different envelopes. Here's for my mortgage or my rent. Here's for my all the different things. And then he would go back over, and he would give the lady back what he was going to put in his savings account. And over the course of three years, the bank tellers got to know him. Now, this has been about 10 years ago. And one day, he calls me right after Christmas, ecstatic. I said, what's going on? He said, you're never going to believe this. He said, you know, I thought for so long, I don't really lead anybody. I don't really impact anybody. I don't really have a, 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 an impact on anyone. He said, but the Lord impressed upon me to buy some donuts and stuff for the bank tellers because they're always so kind to me. And he said, so I brought them a little track from the church that I attend, and I brought them some donuts right after Christmas. He said, I gave them to them. And he said, I asked them to read the little track. He said, well, the two tellers that I usually work with read the track. He said, I came in the next week. So this is two weeks after Christmas. He said, can we talk to you about the track? Well, he got nervous. He'd never share the gospel with anybody. And they said, how do you know this is real? And he said, well, that's easy. And they said, it is. And he said, yeah. He said, because God changed my life. He said, I'm no longer selfish. I'm no longer angry. I'm no longer bitter. I no longer have hatred. I no longer have these things in my heart because God removed all those things, and he's filled me full of joy. He said, when I gave my life to Christ, I was a new person. And the lady across the table, uh, bank, you know what she said to him? She goes, can I do that? And he said, well, they say that you're supposed to repeat a prayer after me, but I don't know how to do it. And she said, well, can you do the best you can? And he led both those people to the Lord right there. That guy called me. He was so ecstatic. He said, when you don't think you're impacting anybody, people are always watching. I think being a man, these are two pieces. We could break them out in a lot of different ways. But how we conduct ourselves and how we lead. By the way, my children are playing competitive basketball, and we played about 700 games last week. Now, obviously, that's an exaggeration, but that's how long I've been at the gym, okay? I don't know what day it is. I, don't, I, I may have worn these clothes yesterday. I have no idea, okay? That's, that's, that's just where we're at right now, and we're loving it, by the way. But I was at a game Monday night, and I saw some of the saddest things I've ever seen by some of the things that were yelled from those stands, 
I saw fans that went to the concession stand wearing Christian T-shirts, come back, leave all their junk all over the stands. I, saw, I heard things yelled that were not profane, but they were just horrible. I mean, these are, these are kids, and these, these are grown men that have worked the job all day, and they're going out there, they're running up and down the court, they're doing the best they can. And they're just yelling these things, and I'm looking around, I told my wife, I said, I don't, I, this is horrible. I said, I just can't even believe this. And so after it was over, my family and I just start picking up trash, and the, the guy sitting over beside us, he was for the other team, he said, what are you picking the trash up for? He said, somebody else is supposed to do that. I said, because this is not how you act. Like, I don't want my kids to see this. I don't want my kids to think you just throw stuff on the ground and someone else will deal with it. That's not how you're supposed to conduct yourself. And when I was reading this, I was just reminded there is a way as men and as believers we're to conduct ourselves and there's a way that we're to lead. I want you to go back to verse 3. It says, And keep your obligation to the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes, commands, ordinances and decrees this is written in the law of Moses so that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn now we love that word success in the American dream we talk about the word success all the time well we like that word success because typically it means money and it means notoriety I don't know that that's exactly what David is really talking about here David had had it all and he had lost it all just like that David understood what this word actually meant. Notice what he says here. He says, walk in his ways and to keep his statutes, commands, ordinances, and decrees. I think what he's saying here is be strong, be a man, and obey God's commands. Very simple. You know, Brother Steve has said oftentimes that when you talk about obeying God's commands, people will call you a legalist nowadays. The first time I heard him say that, I thought, well, I don't know if that's true. It is very true. So you're just a legalist. You know what? No, I'm not. I'm just trying to do what God's called me to do. I'm trying to follow the things that God's put into place. I don't care how you cut the pie. I don't think as believers, you and I should ever have a profane word leave our lips. Now, if some of you do, maybe the Lord will convict you of that. He convicted me of that many, many years ago because it says, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. And you can say, well, I think you're a little legalistic on that. That's fine. That's fine. My daddy raised me, and this is what he would always say. I said, well, daddy, I said, what if we get to heaven? Because, he, you know, he taught me you don't ever drink alcohol, not a drop. You don't, you, you don't ever you need to taste it. And so I haven't. I just never, it's just not a thing for me. And I told him one time, I said, dad, I said, what happens if we die and go to heaven? And the Lord says, you could have had a, a glass of wine. He said, well, you didn't do anything wrong. He said, but I'll tell you this. All the people that are drinking out there, if they get to heaven and God says, I told you you shouldn't be drinking, he said, they are in the wrong. He said, son, he said, people will call you a legalist. He said, but if you're going to err, err on the side of Scripture. That doesn't sit well with a lot of people. And I've messed up many times. But the way I'm trying to raise my children is to follow after the Lord. And if there's ever a check in your spirit about something, just don't do it. And I think what he's saying here is just obey God's commands. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Listen to what he says. If you love me, you will. Not probably, not most of the time. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. It's not legalistic to follow the Lord. 
As a matter of fact, he gave us a beautiful picture in human life when we look at a father and a mother and their children. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. And one of the ways you honor them is you obey the things they put in place. I tell my kids all the time, you don't have to like it. You just have to obey it. And one day, you're going to find yourself telling your kids the same things I've been telling you, and you're going to have that moment where you go, I cannot believe I just said that. Because I know a lot more than you do. The issue with you right now is you don't know what you don't know. You only know a very little bit. And I have set some stuff in place to protect you, to help you, to guide you, to prepare you for a better future. And some of the things I've set in place are just because I really, 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 really love you. You know, when I look at the commands of the Lord, and I want to be obedient to those things, sometimes I'll say, well, Lord, and then I just have to step back and say, you know what? You get it. Your ways are not our ways. You see the whole picture. You know, some of you can say, well, you know, I, I think I can have a glass of wine. I, I, don't, I don't think you're right on that whole thing with alcohol. I think we see it in there. And that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion, but the reality is I've never seen anything good come from it, ever, ever. My wife's daddy, uh, my, wife's, my wife's daddy died. My wife's brother died in a car wreck. He was hit by a street sweeper in the state of Virginia, and the guy was drunk. I never seen anything good come out of it. And you can say, well, that's legalistic. No. There are certain things that are put in place to protect us. And that's just one small example. So I want to ask you a question that I want to talk a little bit about. Why is obedience key to success? Because remember what he said in verse, I think it was verse uh, 3. He says, this is written in the law of Moses so that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn. I'm not talking about the success of money. I'm not talking about the success of power. I'm talking about being successful as the men of God God has called us to be. Why is obedience key to that success? Not power, not money, but to the success of being godly men, men of integrity, godly husbands, godly fathers, Godly businessmen, godly friends, all of those things. Why is obedience one of the keys to that success? I want you to discuss it around the table, and we'll come back in just a few minutes. All right, guys, uh, as we get ready to close out our time, and we'll put these back up on the screen. This is David's final instruction on earth. He's getting ready to die. He gives him a little bit more stuff on how to deal with some certain people in the next few verses, and then the Bible says he dies. So this is really the last thing that David gives Solomon. He says, be strong, be a man, obey God's commands. As I thought through this series on David, a man after God's own heart, I thought, you know, if, if we're just going to wrap it all up at the very end, what would I want guys to walk away knowing? I would want you to walk away knowing what I believe the Lord's impressed upon my heart and what I've been praying for for the last two years as the Lord laid this passage on my, on my heart and really opened my eyes to it. I've been praying that God would raise up the men of Bellevue to be strong, to be men, and to obey God's commands. That's been my prayer. And over the course of the last 11 weeks, your names, I've printed off, and I just pray through them. I just run my fingers over your names, and I just pray over your names. And typically, I just pray that the Lord will bless you, that it will bless your homes. But at the end of that prayer, 
Each week, I've prayed, God, raise these men up to be strong, to be men, and to obey God's commands. So I want to encourage you to take that tonight as we get ready to leave. i got two more things I want us to do, and then we're going to actually end just a couple minutes early tonight. But I wanted to give you what we're going to do next semester because we're done tonight. Um, we'll be off next Wednesday, obviously, for Thanksgiving, and then we take the month of December off, and then we will start the second Wednesday of January, which is January 10th. January 10th, we'll meet right back in this room. And um, we are going to be doing a series, and I really prayed a long time about it, and then had a conversation with Miss Dana Street. Now, if you don't know Miss Dana Street, she is the director of Bellevue Women. So I'm over Bellevue Men, she's over Bellevue Women, and we have never done something that has coincided. We've never worked together in a semester. And so she came to me a couple months ago, and she pitched an idea to me. And I began to pray about it, I talked to Noah about it, I talked to Drew about it, and I said, you know, she said, it makes sense to me, let's just try it. And she said, if, if the Lord leads you to, and so I prayed about it, and really believe this is where God's led us. And so what we're going to do is, is we are going to study the same passage every week that Bellevue women are going to study, that they meet on Tuesday mornings and they meet on Wednesday nights, they can go to either one of those. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take the exact same passages of Scripture that they're studying, and we're going to look at it and see how it applies to us as men. Now, I'll be honest with you. They called their series Beloved. We are not calling our series Beloved, okay? Uh, the, The banner that they have chosen is pink and gold with hearts and glitter. We are not going to have a banner with pink and hearts and glitter, okay? So theirs is beloved, and what they're studying is 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It's going to be a verse-by-verse study through those three books. You say, oh, my word. In 11 weeks, we're going to go through three books of the Bible. Well, 1st John is five chapters, okay? That's, that's manageable, but 2nd and 3rd John's real manageable. They're each just one chapter, okay? We, we can handle that. We can do that. And so what we're going to do is... We're going to come in each week, and for the next week, I will send you, that, that, the, 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 on, like this Wednesday, I would give you what we're going to read and study the next Wednesday night. And my challenge will be, I want you to read this, and I want you to ask a couple questions. And by the way, earlier when I was talking about how a lot of people will, will do eisegesis where they read things into the text, and they make the text say what they want it to say, versus exegesis where they look and say, what does the word say, and they draw out what it says and then apply it to their lives. One of the things that I do, and I, this is not original to me, I learned this from a couple other people, but one of the things that I do is when I read the scripture, I always ask three questions. Now, oftentimes I'll ask many more questions, but these are three questions I'm going to ask every single day. Whether I read five chapters, whether I read a chapter, whether I read ten verses, I'm going to ask three questions every time, and they are this. Number one, what does this passage say about God? What does it say about God? And by the way, You'll be amazed at the different characteristics of God you will see throughout Scripture. And sometimes even verse to verse, you'll see, oh, I see God's love right here. Oh, my goodness. I see God's grace and mercy right here. Oh, my goodness. I see God's wrath right here. And you'll see all these different things. And so I always ask the question, anytime I read God's word, what does it say about God? The second thing I always ask is what does it say about man? I'm talking about people. What what does it say about us? By the way, most of the time it's that we're sinful and selfish. Just going to go ahead and get that out there. It's usually right along the line right there, okay? The third thing that I'm always going to ask is what does it call me to do? 
What does it call me to do? I'll be honest with you. There are times I read the scripture and I get to the end and I'll see something about God. I'll see something about man. And I'll say, I just don't know what it calls me to do. And I'll say, well, I'm just going to keep reading until I find something. You know? But I'm going to ask those three questions. And that is one way that can help you bring out of the text what it's saying instead of just reading into the text. So those are three things that I want you to ask. It'll be bite-sized portions of scripture. We may read eight to 12 verses you know, one week and ask those three questions and come back ready to discuss around the table. We're probably not going to do table discussion just like we did it this time. We're going to have table discussion around table, but it's probably going to be at the beginning of the teaching on what you got from the text with those three questions around the table. Then we're going to have a portion of teaching, and then there's going to be a question at the end that we take from the kind of the main idea of that teaching and discuss it around the table. And then what you're going to walk away with is what's next week's passage that I'm going to read and ask those three questions to. And then you're also going to be given one more question. You say, well, it's a lot. No, it's not. Don't, don't, don't worry, okay? It's not going to be a lot. It's going to be very manageable. I'm just going to give you one question. If your wife is in Bellevue Women, because they're going to be studying the same passage, I'm going to give you one question to ask your wife. And it may be something so simple as what was y'all's big idea today? What's the main takeaway you had tonight? And here was my main takeaway. I'm going to tell you right now, men, we talk with our spouses about everything. But you really want to see your marriage flourish? Talk about the Word of God. Pray together. I talked to a guy a couple weeks ago. He said, I've been married 20 years. I've never prayed with my wife other than at a meal. That may be you. You can do this. You can do it. So those are the few things that we're going to do next semester. And so the, 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 uh, the title is going to be found from 3 John, verse 11. Remember, it's just one chapter, and it's only 15 verses. But in verse 11, this is what it says in 3 John. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. This is what he says. Do not imitate what is evil, but rather imitate what is good. And so what we're going to talk about next semester is be imitators. Be imitators. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And we're going to talk about being imitators of Christ and all the things that we see in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that call us to go out and live a godly life and to be strong and be men and obey God's commands in the culture that we're in today. Guys, I love you. I'm so thankful for you. You have been such an encouragement to me this semester. I'm going to pray for you, and then I want you to do something around your table. I'm coming in just a second. I'm going to let you pray for us. But, I, but one more thing I want you to do before you leave, after he prays, I want you to pray around the table. One of the guys, and I don't, I don't want to put him on the spot, but he texted me this morning, and I've been a terrible friend and hadn't texted him back. We just talked about it. His, his son was just diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. I want us to pray for him tonight, okay? And God knows his name. God knows who he is. But you know what? I was reminded when he sent me that text and when we talked about tonight. We're all going through stuff around the table. So I just want you to pray. We've got, uh, we've got about 10 minutes before, you know, usually we would end. So I just want, uh, I'm going to have Mr. Stone King pray for us. And then I want you to pray around the tables, okay? Can we do that? Oh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Will you pray for us? Father in heaven, we quiet our hearts, knowing that you're interested in every part of our lives. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for accepting us into your family. Thank you for the blood of Christ. 
Thank you for these brothers that are encouraging to each of us. Thank you, Father, for insights that we get from the Word. We're so grateful for the Word of God, but, Father, we're also thankful for the God of the Word. Help us to know Him better, to serve Him better, to have a heart that's willing and excited to be able to share with those who don't know Him. But help us never not to be strong men. We pray that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.